Tony, this is a, a positive and optimistic <laughs> podcast. <laughs> but we're talking about Roger Goodell. Before we get started, a quick note from the studio. My side of the podcast was recorded on the road, and sometimes the sound quality isn't great. Hopefully you can still understand everything, but if not, feel free to blame Superfan Tony. All right, here we go. Welcome to Joe Picks an NFL Team. In this podcast, Joe, abandoned by his San Diego Chargers, is evaluating all 32 teams to find out who he should root for next season. This week, I'm live in Philadelphia at the NFL Draft, where, of course, there's only one team where it makes sense to cover, the Cincinnati Bengals. Joe, how are you feeling? Dan, I'm feeling great. It's early in the morning, unlike our 1 a.m. podcasting last time. I'm feeling energetic, and I'm looking at you and Superfan Tony on the podcast. Hey, guys. I am super excited to be here. Uh, I am a big supporter of everything that you're doing. Uh, I also have to say that my fiance Pam, uh, is a big fan of the show and on several occasions has been laughing so hard that she had to maybe stop the podcast. And in addition to uh, sending in expert opinions about birds and being the reporter on the ground, now I get to have the opportunity to be on the show. So super excited. I, should, I think I should get an executive producer credit for the show. Tony, you're off to a good start there buttering us up, but now... I. <laughs> The podcast does not give away that producer title very easily. Tony, quick clarifying question on the laughing so hard she had to stop the podcast. Is that a laughing with us or laughing at us situation? It's a combination of both, but it's usually when you're talking about the drinks uh, and the commentary huh. surrounding the drinks. She finds that to be the best part. Well, should we start there then, Dan? I think so. We've got so much to cover this week. The Cincinnati Bengals are, of course, Tony's, Superfan Tony's favorite team. So we've got a lot there. And at the NFL Draft, we've got some really interesting on-the-ground reporting here. But I think we'll start with the drink. We'll jump into the mailbag where I've abridged it. And then we will, in that, get our uh, on-the-ground reporting from the draft. So without further ado... What are we drinking? By the way, have we just officially switched who's in charge of talking about the drink? We might have, Joe. <laughs> All right. You know, you do so much work for the podcast. So I don't want to put one additional thing on you, but you know. <laughs> this burden is too much to bear. Okay, we're drinking what's called the Cincinnati Cocktail, which is very simple recipe. Eight ounces of a full-bodied beer, any full-bodied beer, and eight ounces of soda water. Dating back to the 1880s at least, the earliest known recipe for the Cincinnati cocktail calls for one half full of glass or lager and one half glass full of soda or ginger ale. Noting, this is a very cooling drink and is drank very much by the people of Cincinnati during the warm weather. Very cooling indeed. Cincinnati's large population of German immigrants, it is probable to assume that the, quote, Natty Light, spelt N-A-T-I, was served with a sausage or bratwurst on occasion. So, what beer are you guys drinking for your Cincinnati cocktail? So I am drinking a Kona uh, Fire Rock Pale Ale. Uh, and this is because the dedication to this podcast I have, this is my bachelor party at the NFL Draft. Uh, and I woke up this morning to listen to the latest Seahawks episode to be fully wow. caught up on the content. Wow. Uh, but I am getting married in Hawaii this summer. And so we decided to buy some Hawaii-themed beer. So I'm drinking a Kona Fire Rock Pale Ale with eight ounces of club soda. And I am drinking water because it's 9.23 in the morning and drinking beer at this hour is insane. Dan, 
As long as one of you is drinking this drink with me, I'm fine with that. Because usually I'm drinking by myself on this podcast. I am drinking a Fremont Ale. There you go. Local to your very and We'll get to the drink rating later. But this is not a bad morning drink. What do you think, Tony? This is a perfectly good morning drink. And I like that the Cincinnati cocktail is a joke about German people and how much they love beer. That uh, the cocktail is simply to add <laughs> seltzer water to, to beer or a club soda to beer. Like... There should be more of these, you know, tongue-in-cheek jokes when referring to cocktails of a particular city instead of trying to, like, foo-foo it up. All right. And now into the mailbag this week where, for time, Tony, superfan Tony, and I, we have a hard tea time that we need to get to. So we've got some great mailbags that we'll read on the next episode after this. Don't worry. We got them. But I'm just going to pick out one mailbag. And, of course, if you want to send feedback about this show or... Uh, the teams that we're going to do next time, please send your feedback to nfl at joepixpod.com. We love your feedback. It's amazing. Here we go. Hey, guys. First heard about this podcast right around the week when you did the Broncos. It has since become my favorite podcast. I look forward to it every week when you don't skip a week. Joe, <laughs> oh, I can burn. hear it from everybody. And my poor girlfriend has to listen to it while we drive. Well, maybe if she's like Super Fan Tony's girlfriend, maybe we'll have two new fans. Having been born in Iceland, lived in Japan, Utah, and now Hawaii. Oh, man, Tony. Wow. My person might come to your wedding. I was pretty lost when trying to find pro sports teams. I followed my dad into Chicago sports in all areas, but for football, where I picked the Bears' biggest rival, the Green Bay Packers. Yes, he stated I'm now out of the well. Some comments I have about the show. I love a lot of the categories you picked to cover. I've essentially been using this to learn more about the backstory of all the teams. Categories I love. Fantasy relevance, owner score, the too good or too bad scale, and the rate the division. Well, that's basically the whole thing. What could possibly go wrong here? Oh, categories I dislike. What do you think, Joe? Well, <laughs> I, I can't imagine he doesn't like, does Rob like the team too much? Of course. Categories I dislike. Can't root for a team Rob roots for. Maybe it's because I'm a Packers fan too, but the dude is right in a lot of the hate he gives. Rob probably hates the Giants because they beat us in 2011 when we probably had the best Packer team we've ever had. Giving so many points to a team based off a guy who knows what he's talking about disliking them is basically donating points to the most evil, dickish teams. Also, the drink score. I really enjoy the drink portion. I'm glad you guys do it. But giving so many points off a drink, you're highly likely to not even drink on game day. I don't see how it measures equally to a category like too good or too bad. It's a good point, Joe. Those are all very good points. And I, I like to think that if there were a team that were unfairly denied entry into the Sweet 16 based on just the Rob or the drink category, I think that would be uh, worrisome to me for the fidelity of our process. But because I think we could like safely say that there are eight or nine categories that are just totally objective, above board. I mean, nothing's objective. This is all subjective. But, you know, that aren't based on maybe like maybe like a little bit sillier criteria than the other two as a overall weight of the total score are relatively small. And to finish off his email, the only reason he mentions negatives, Joe, is because damn it, you better continue the Joe picks a blank series once this is over. Joe picks a favorite food, Joe picks a favorite drink, Joe picks a favorite movie, and my personal favorite, Joe picks a favorite child. Wow. Oh, wow. Wow. That is a great idea. We hadn't even thought about that. I don't care what it is that you pick, but you two have great chemistry together in a podcast form, and it's something I'd absolutely love to continue to listen to in the future. 
when the Packers episode is coming up, I'll try to send you some stuff to get some accurate information. Shout out to Superfan Tony. Keep doing God's work. And he signs it. Super, but not as super as Tony. Fan Sean. Wow, that's that's amazing. And I would also like to be in the brainstorming session for the categories of Joe Picks, his favorite child. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the key thing will be not telling my actual children what the categories are, so they'll just be constantly guessing how to please me. I love it. Sean, what an email. What a fan. Our probably most worldly fan, would you say, Dan? I, well, I, we've got other things in the mailbag that you'll have next time. I I'm not going to lie, Joe. We might be one of those things that, like, in the U.S., we have, like, some popularity, but we're, like, huge internationally. We're huge in Iceland. <laughs> We've got a lot of international fans. I have no idea how they're finding the podcast. Dan, but... when are we going on tour in Reykjavik? <laughs> it's going to hurt the one podcast a week, thing. We have an announcement. Tickets are available for our live show in Reykjavik. We'll be at Terminal 1 of the International Airport. 150 kroner. <laughs> I don't know how much that is. Yeah, I don't even know if that's a proper currency. Okay, now we've got the actual mailbag, but since last week Tony sent in an actual mailbag, I'm going to give Tony the floor for two things. One, Tony, I want to hear, you've been to rounds one, two, and three of the NFL draft. If my reporting here is accurate, you've booed Roger Goodell. Correct. You've been on television. Correct. And you have seen, I don't know, a hundred draft picks. Yes. What are you? What are your takeaways from going to the NFL draft live? So for round one, I didn't actually have a ticket, but I had a seat filler ticket for round one, which meant that we didn't quite get in right away. Uh, but we progressively. And by the way, not get in right away means waiting in line for three hours. Yeah, that is correct. Uh, we waited in line for three hours until the theater seats uh, started opening up, uh, which happened after the Eagles pick. But then we were able to get very, very close uh, to the main stage uh, for the latter half of the first round. So, so the seat filler just meant that they don't want they don't want to pan out to like an empty crowd. That's right. So that's right. once people decide to leave, there's other people ready to take those seats. Exactly. This is exactly like a Cosmo Kramer situation where. You know, once people leave, then there's a backup list of people to come in and they call us drafted fans uh, and it's run by a casting company. Um, And so I assume that we were selected and given tickets because we were coming from far away and not Eagles fans. Hmm. Um, So Bengals fans. Oh, interesting. Or or, or others, right? Because they want a good representation, not just entirely. So is this like a Price is Right situation where the more excited you are when you're waiting in line, the more likely they are to put you up front? We didn't do any personality tests. I think it was solely based on uh, location. But you were able to write a little blurb, and I had written that this is my bachelor party and I love the draft, and so I think that helped in securing me my tickets. Uh, when you were on TV, you looked pretty damn excited. <laughs> I'm, I'm a pretty excitable person. Yeah. Uh, and we were on TV uh, for a brief second, and actually we may have been on TV for other times that we only seen once. My, my fiance has recorded uh, both the NFL Network feed and the ESPN feed, so we can go back to the tape and see if I showed up uh, on other, uh, other broadcasts. I find the draft to be great. Uh, I, I've always loved the draft. I've always enjoyed watching all of it. The problem with watching it live is that you don't get the filler feedback and all of the highlights and all of the commentary uh, to go with it, which is really like 95% of the draft. You do get to talk to a lot of people around you, 
uh, and what they know or think they know about uh, the prospects. And so that's sort of a general fun atmosphere where everybody is on the same boat. The only people who want to come to an NFL draft are diehard fans. Uh, and so you do get into some fairly interesting conversations with the people around you. So, so Tony and Dan, I have a couple questions for you. So first, I was thinking about the draft, and I was thinking the draft is actually one of the few football events, maybe the only football event, maybe other than the Pro Bowl, where you have fans from all 32 teams coming to one event. Super Bowl tends to pull from different uh, cities because it's such a hard thing to get a ticket to, but it's going to be mostly the city that the Super Bowl's in and then the two teams that are playing. So I guess my first question, Tony, you listen to every podcast. We've done episodes on the Chargers, Browns, Broncos, Cowboys, Eagles, Jets, Bucks, Texans, Falcons, Giants, and Seahawks. Wow, impressive. Was that, was that, was that from memory? Uh, no, I have that in front of me. Was there anything that you saw in terms of fandom that either confirmed or maybe upset your current thinking about different teams' fan bases? Well, as you know, I lived in Philadelphia for a couple of years, and I know Philadelphia fans very well. They are legendary booers, uh, and they were predetermining that they would boo their pick regardless of who it was. Uh, there were people in line, we were asking, what are you going to do during that pick? And they're like, of course we're going to boo. That's not even a question. Uh, 100% boo. And of course, the only other thing to do uh, in, in, in the draft theater uh, is wait for people to show up. And when Roger Goodell comes out, of course, long and lusty boos uh, from everyone. In- I think the over-under on the boos for Goodell was like 20 seconds. And our uh, intrepid on-the-ground reporters while we were in line counted... Was 25 seconds. 25 seconds of booing, but then there was another 20 seconds of the asshole chant or something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of chanting... Uh, a lot of, you know, uh, not safe for work chanting uh, at Roger Goodell. And I have to say, I was impressed that it didn't cease, right? The, the novelty never wore off. Uh, he came out for every pick and for every pick he got booed. Like even when he was coming out with like children from uh, the Make-A-Wish Foundation, <laughs> like there was nothing that you could bring out there, like active servicemen, like, you know, all these positive things uh, that would stop people from Philadelphia uh, from booing, like. He was trying. He was trying to stem the tide. But no, every time Roger Goodell steps on that stage. I can actually think of few people alive today who would be more satisfying to boo. Maybe I can think of five or six. But like he would be in the top ten for sure. But I think he was he was sort of leaning into the boos. It was just – he was so non-flustered. He just was like people are booing me. You know, actually the better strategy would have been not to come out with sympathetic people – but to come out with other hated people. So then it's like, are they like, if Goodell came out with Bill Cosby, there's a huge boo. And people are like, are they booing Goodell or are they booing Bill Cosby? Temple University. Temple University. Oh boy. Yeah. So that's, that's, that's my answer is that Philly fans were quite dedicated to booing every time. As, as snarky and angry as we think they are. Yeah. I had a major takeaway that I was not expecting. So obviously there are just so many Philly fans. When you're in line, you're, you're surrounded by Philly fans. There are fans of other teams, but you can't even come. There's so many people there. There were like 70,000 was the estimate. Yeah. I, heard on the radio, I mean, it, it's it just this more. large open field. There are just, it's just football fans shoulder to shoulder. And the people are having these somewhat, you know, intellectual conversations. Like when somebody's drafted, it's like 20 different people know who this person is, know their uh, pros, yeah. pros, their cons. And we're out, when you're out there, there's no like, there's no audio feed or anything. So it's just these people have this knowledge, which is incredible. 
But I'm, of course, there in my Washington football club jersey, and I was expecting to be sort of jeered, but I really wasn't. And my big takeaway is when talking about the rivalries, the Eagles fans hate, hate, despise the Cowboys. Like, that is by far their biggest rival. They hate the Cowboys. They were chanting, Dallas sucks, not even when Dallas was picking, just to (laughs) chant it. And I had a few fans come up and be like, uh, you know, your team sucks. I've got a stupid name. Your owner's an idiot. And I was like, yeah, yeah all I agree of those with points are accurate, <laughs> correct points. But, you know, when Dallas fans would walk away, people would just start booing and like shaking their fists at them. We're going to have to revisit this when we talk about Dallas in the Sweet 16. But it is interesting. And I don't know if it makes me like them more or less. I'm going to have to really do some soul searching on this, that every team in that division hates the Cowboys the most. And considers them their rival. There is a great photo circulating around the internet of they have a, a, a place where every team has a statue uh, that's headless, and you can sort of stand in there and, and pretend to be a player on that team, right? Like those cutout kind of things. Two Eagles fans were uh, took off. Well, one Eagles fan is uh, took took off his pants and uh, is shown. Uh, possibly pooping into the empty <laughs> hole. Oh <my> <laughs> uh, and that is circulating around the internet if anyone wants to go check that out, um, which I think encapsulates the feeling that Philly fans have about, or Philly fans have about Dallas. Great mailbag, everybody. Tony, great thoughts. Great on-the-ground reporting from the NFL draft. Everybody, if you have feedback out there for how you think the draft might have affected the teams, any uh, any picks, any grades or whatever, please send it in, nfl at com. So, Joe, do you have any fan feedback this week? I do. I'm going to save the Seahawks fan feedback for the next episode, but we do have fan feedback from our Giants fans. And, Dan, you and I maybe had a incorrect assumption that Giants fans would be very defensive, would be very negative about the podcast. Our Giants fans loved it. What? By far, the highest upvotes we got on Reddit for any time I posted this. People love it. How could the Giants fans like our podcast? Well, okay, what's interesting about Giants fans, let me tell you two things that I realized from this fan feedback. One, the Chargers and Giants were two teams that had very little crossover. They didn't play that many significant games. And so the only thing that most Giants fans think about with the Chargers is the Eli Manning, Philip Rivers debacle. And most of the conversation was odd shit talking because I'm coming there as not a Charger fan anymore about the Eli Rivers dynamic. The one takeaway I have from the feedback, which doesn't make me like the Giants anymore, to be honest, is I guess I would have thought the Giants fans had a begrudging acceptance of Eli Manning. They love Eli Manning. They are like multiple times refer to him as future Hall of Famer Eli Manning, which I think is dubious. Maybe that's, it's not. That's but surprising. Well, he's definitely with two Super Bowl MVPs, but. Yeah, that seems like a stretch, but I guess it'll happen. And then just people like, you know, time after time, like, you know, so this one says, well, we have the greatest Charger quarterback of all time playing for us, so you should root for us. And then another Giants fan replies, I don't know, Fouts and Rivers might have a thing or two to say about that. And that person gets downvoted into oblivion. So it's like they just have this love for Eli Manning and this confidence that they were 100% on the better side of that trade, which I don't think, other than the two Super Bowl victories, which Rivers' limitation hasn't been himself, it's been the team surrounding him. I think Rivers is statistically better in every single way. I, I certainly think of him as much better. 
All right, Joe, without further ado, let's get into this. This is why we're here. The Bengals. We've got Superfan Tony here to add his color commentary. Number one, don't want a team that is too good or too bad. So the Bengals, their Super Bowl odds this year are 33 to 1. Okay. You know, it's something. It's doable. They have zero Super Bowls in their history. Both in 1981 and 1988, they made the Super Bowl. And both times, they lost to the same team. Who do they lose to, Tony? San Francisco 49ers. That's right. The San Francisco 49ers. The catch. Oh, wow. That was against the Bengals? Right. Boy, if I Poor Cincinnati. Okay, Joe. Top third, middle third, bottom third. Win percentage over the past 10 years. I would say middle third. Number of playoff wins. Bottom third. And number of times they've made the playoffs. I I, I think I would actually guess top third. Uh, Joe, have you been cheating? No. Joe, that's 100%. That, wow. This is like one this of the most tricky teams. Happened. And it's all over the map. But I, my sense is just that they are a team that is usually on top or near the top of their division, but has a terrible choking problem in the playoffs. Joe, wow. So their win percentage is 52.8%, which puts them 14th, so right around the middle. They have made the playoffs six times in the past 10 seasons, which is good for sixth in the NFL, which is great, six out of 10. But they have won a grand total of zero playoff games, which puts them 23rd and in the bottom third. So this is like the opposite of the Seahawks we were talking about, where the Seahawks, if they make the playoffs, they're guaranteed at least one win, possibly more. The Bengals, it's a guarantee of nothing making the playoffs. Yeah, it's, and look, it's sort of like the opposite of the Giants a little bit too, where the Giants make the playoffs not very often, but when they do, they always make a run. Right. The Bengals always make it and then always lose. Yeah, Five I years. think the Chargers beat the Bengals one year in the playoffs. That is correct. And I remember as a Charger fan going into it being like, oh, yeah, we got this. Like, it's Andy Dalton. Whatever. We're fine. Uh, five, five years in a row, I watched the Bengals lose in the first round. Uh, several of those years, uh, one of those years, they had the opportunity to win the last game and get a bye, and they did not. And, of course, they lost in the first round. So it's, uh, it, it, it really just depends on the flavor of fandom that you're interested in where you want a chance, you want to be in the playoffs, that's exciting. Uh, but knowing that you won't advance or, or being strongly certain that you're not a Super Bowl contender of the playoff teams uh, is, is a little, is a little uh, depressing. Uh, I also think that I get the sense from your Falcons podcast where you gave them a three because their range is either terrible or Super Bowl caliber, so they're both too good and too bad, that what you're really looking for is a uh, high-floor uh, but low ceiling as far as not too good or too bad. And the Bengals fit that to a T. I think that they're not going to win fewer than six games, uh, and they will not win more than 10 or 11 games. Yeah, I mean, I think I think the Bengals are in a real sweet spot for the not too good, not too bad. I mean, first of all, the 20 to 35 to 1 odds are like generally the high range for this. That's what I like to see. But also... As we've been fleshing this out more, I think the too bad part of it is, you know, relatively simple. Are they just going to be terrible next year uh, and in the years to come? The too good category is a little bit more ephemeral and it's more about recent history, but also what it would mean if they won a Super Bowl. And 
the fact they've never won it, and also the fact that they have this playoff choking history. If they were to make a Super Bowl run, it would be incredibly exciting for a fan of the team. If the Cincinnati Bengals win a playoff game, that will be like <laughs> winning the Super Bowl. Uh, what the, would you even feel if they won a play? Like, can you even um, visualize it in your head? I, I can visualize it because they should have won a playoff game against the Pittsburgh Steelers, but then Jeremy Hill fumbled, uh, and then two personal fouls later. The Steelers oh my God, that's uh, right. That uh, was in the playoffs. The field goal to win. Oh. That was the that that was the Bengals version of the Falcons Super Bowl, except oh. it was in the divisional round. I will say though that they're not too bad for sure. They're definitely not too good either. I would be signing up for another team that is Charger-esque, Tottenham Hotspur-esque too in my own in my soccer fandom of just finding really creative ways to blow it. And that that might be a little bit of a knock against them, but I think this is going to be a pretty high score for them. I, I'm going to say eight and a half on the not too, good, not too bad. Wow. That's up there. I, I don't have a BPL team, so perhaps the next version could be Tony picks a... EPL team, or yeah, sorry, EPL team. Tony picks an EPL team. Are you trying to? Are you trying to cut me out of the podcast? Today? <laughs> no, you could do that too. Right? We'll run that post. by uh, Sean in Iceland. Well, you need Joe to be in the name. Joe's the namesake of the podcast. Or it could be Tony picks. It could be. It could be Joe's friend Tony picks. Uh, yeah, we'll we'll workshop this. <laughs> Joe, Joe's friend Tony picks. So Tony was having you on this podcast a mistake. Wait, what do you think it's going to go to my head? I don't know. It already is going to your head. I, I've been told I have a great radio voice. Well, we'll see what the listeners think. Listeners, feel free to get in the hate mail. Let's take Tony down to earth a little bit. Evaluate my voice. Like Zach's mailbag last week, Zach, the only person out there who hates Superfan Tony. Zach is a friend of mine. <laughs> oh, good. Uh, Zach is, is in person at the Bachelor Party. Yeah, we saw him yesterday. He's great. He, he, he loved that you read that. And, and whether you would defend me or not. Well, hate mail against Tony's always great. Number two, what does Joe think about the division? So we visited this division before, back in the Browns episode. For the Browns, you gave it a 7 out of 10. And I believe your rationale was that you like the division, if not for the fact that the Browns were in it. So just for those at home keeping score, it's the Bengals, the Steelers, the Browns, and the Ravens. And Tony, as somebody in this, I mean, I think we talked about these rivalries a little bit before, but the Bengals have clear rivalry with the Steelers. That's that's right. Uh, it is really easy to hate the Steelers, and uh, for a lot of reasons, they beat us in the playoffs. Their fans are everywhere. They're really obnoxious, and they do that towels. So uh, that towel thing. Uh, yeah. And so rooting against the Steelers is like you know rooting against the Cowboys in terms of like a franchise that people that are really obnoxious and really annoying. Um, the Bengals also have a rivalry against the Browns, but as I mentioned previously, that's a very sort of one-sided rivalry until the Browns uh, get better, which remains to be seen. How do you feel about the Ravens, Tony? I dislike the Ravens. I, I, I think they're also an eminently hateful team. You know, Ray Lewis uh, and their history, Steve Smith. Uh, Ray Lewis in the history of great Super Bowl winning moments? Or Ray Lewis. And Ray the- Lewis and his history of being on the cover of Madden? 2000, whatever. Ray Lewis and the murder trial that he was... Uh, yeah, acquitted. Okay, well, what we could... You know, uh, and then also... Like, Look, Joe he didn't Flacco. deserve a long-term suspension. He didn't smoke weed or anything, Tony. Come Joe, on. Joe, Joe Flacco has, like, the most punchable face in the NFL. Uh, actually, Jake Cutler has the most punchable face. Uh, Joe Flacco is the close second. Well, Eli Manning actually might be second, and then Joe Flacco third. Uh, but I, I strongly dislike... I strongly dislike the Ravens, and they are really easy to dislike. Do all Cincinnati Bengals fans just think of other teams in terms of violence you might do against them? <laughs> Punchability of face. Yeah, we need to 
have a punchability meter here. Ooh, so uh, it's so tough. Rathlisberger has a very punchable face. Uh, Jay Cutler has a very punchable face. Uh, Eli Manning has a very punchable face, and Joe Flacco. I think uh, it's it's very tough. There, there's there's a lot of contenders for this category. I think we just found our thirteenth category, Dan. Uh, <laughs> so let me. Let me ask though, you know, I think the interesting thing about rivalries is it's easy to to feel the most hatred at any time towards the the other good team in your division. That's right. Which is the team that even when they're bad, you hate them? The Steelers. The no Steelers. question. No question. Okay. I, I'm happiest when Steelers fans are unhappy. The other thing I'll say about this division is that it has a reputation of being hard-nosed and, and nasty, and the Steelers-Ravens games are always like that. The Bengals-Steelers uh, games have been like that. Uh, and even the Browns will occasionally, even if they won't win, they will, they'll scrap it up with everyone. Uh, and so that's the reputation I think this division has. Uh, and it's easy to have a rivalry with all of these teams and, and, and strongly get behind that and, and dislike. Yeah, look, there's no denying this is a good division. Um, it's an exciting division. And, you know, the Steelers are a good team to have as a rival. They're always in the mix. They're always going to be tough. So... I think if this was a seven out of ten for the Browns, I think we're gonna go with an eight and a half out of ten for the Bengals. Boom, eight and a half out of ten. Very. I think that's other than your beloved NFC East. Yeah, that's the highest score outside of the NFC East. Well, the Bengals off to a great start, but this might bring them down a little bit. Number three: Does the head coach meet a minimum threshold of competence? So Marvin Lewis, Roto World ranks him as 14, and Roto World is not high on Marvin Lewis. I think the thing with Marvin Lewis is I believe, if it's not written here, but I think this is true, I think he's the second longest tenured coach other than, Bill Belichick, yes. other than Bill Belichick. He's been the head coach of the Bengals since 2003. Wow. That's a long time. He has a career 53% winning percentage, and you know the knock on Marvin Lewis, I think, is what you see is what you get. He's been in the playoffs seven times he's won zero playoff games i think you know he's okay at being a coach he's not terrible but he's clearly not great marty 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 shot east so i have i have a lot of things to say about Mar- marvin lewis of course uh, uh he gets a lot of credit for uh turning around the franchise i think the thing to for, that people forget is how bad the bengals were in the 90s they were like the losingest team of the 90s the 2003 hire of Marvin Lewis when he was the defensive coordinator for the Ravens and you know, a Super Bowl winning coach was like the return to respectability uh, for the Bengals. So no longer were they the laughing stock. The other thing is that he he's clearly a, a, a good coach, uh, as in the players like him and uh, you know he knows his X's and O's. He's bad at a lot of the stuff that most coaches are bad at. Like he's terrible at challenges. He'll challenge like a a seven-yard gain in the first round, you know, or in the first quarter. Uh, he'll run out of challenges before halftime, uh, and he's not great at clock management. Uh, the other thing about uh, this category, which is only focused on the head coach, but I think it's important to remember also that three other NFL head coaches right now were former assistants uh, for the Bengals. Uh, uh, Mike Zimmer, uh, Hugh Jackson, who you already rated, and Vance Joseph, who you already rated. So Marvin is both a uh, head coach that... You know, he's, he delegates well to uh, the people around him. But is it possible he's a better, like, groomer and mentor of actually good coaches than he is a coach himself? I think I think that's, I think he views his head coaching position as, like, a delegation, like, management kind of position as opposed to being, like, the Chip Kelly micromanager type. Which isn't necessarily a bad thing, but the problem with that is that then 
your favors could fall or rise based on, you know, as as your great defensive coordinator, offensive coordinator gets poached away. That's they can have a huge effect on the team. The other thing is that I've seen firsthand with Marty Schottenheimer how even if they don't do anything differently in playoff games, which I think is questionable itself, like some coaches are actually worse in playoff games, but just the the history becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy because then it becomes a story. And like as a fan, and I'm sure this annoys you, Tony, there's like nothing worse than being excited about a playoff game and every story is about your lack of playoff success in the past. Like it's just very frustrating and it annoys the fans because it, it, it then like it gets in the players' heads. It, it becomes true because it's all the media talks about. Yeah, five years in a row, zero and seven in the playoffs. I mean, there's a lot that you can say about, you know, all of those things and Marvin Lewis and, you know, whether he's the right person. I think he's also, he falls into this, like, not too good or not too bad, right? Like, if you replace a Marvin Lewis, you do have to find a coach that's better than him, and that's hard to do. Uh, There are plenty of coaches that are worse than Marvin Lewis, but he still, of course, still has that stigma of never having won a game. Uh, One of the, one of the first... uh, Playoff games that uh, I watched, um, I was uh, I took my, uh, my my fiance Pam to watch the game, and she knew nothing about the Bengals. Uh, and she was like, "How do I fit in with this this crowd of, of Bengals fans at the bar?" And I said, "Whenever something bad happens, just say, damn it, Marvin Lewis, and then everybody will love you instantly.'" <laughs> uh, and she did that, and she she worked the room. She worked the room. That's all. She, those were the. You were like, "Wow, you know so much about football." That was uh, the only <laughs> thing she knew about the Cincinnati Bengals, and instantly won this entire bar over. So, you know, this category is about competence, and I think it's hard to keep your job this long. Uh, that's not always true. Look at Norv Turner. Well, he's, I mean, he's been coached for there for 14 seasons. That's, Norv Turner does, has not lasted 14 seasons. Anyway. So it's hard to keep your job this long, and it's hard to make the playoffs this many times. And to your point, Tony, I think it's a really good one to spawn this many successful to not successful um, assistant coaches that go on to be head coaches out there uh, and not be competent yourself. I could see how Marvin Lewis would frustrate me if I were a Bengals fan, but not to the point of some of these other people that we've seen out there. So I'm going to go seven out of 10 on this category. Seven out of 10. Hey, that's a very good score. He's like the reverse Bill Belichick where Bill Belichick's assistants are terrible when they get their own head coaching jobs uh, because he's the genius. Marvin Lewis is like the delegator and you know his underlings his his lineage is much better than than well now the Bengals are already there i mean really off to a great start surviving marvin lewis but uh i think the the train might uh start to encounter some uh, some trouble here number four do the players get in trouble with the law so joe in the past five years do you think they get in trouble more about average or less than the average team uh, I'm just going to take a wild stab at it here that they are in the top third of troublemakers out there. Yes, you'd be correct. So in the past five years, they have the ninth most incidents. But if you go back to the history of the blotter, they have the third most of any team going back uh, to 2000. And the player highlight, which I, I haven't gone into great detail about this, but this one player appeared on the crime, crime blotter 10 separate times, only the last four of which were for the Bengals. But of course, this means that he was on the crime blotter six times before the Bengals added him to the team. And that would, of course, be Adam Pacman Jones, who has just gotten into trouble in so many different ways. 
his last time on the blotter was this year in January, and I assume he's still happily on the Bengals. Oh, he yeah, he hasn't been cut yet. He, yeah, he's still <laughs> so. Breaking news also happening in the NFL draft, which is the Bengals drafted a player, Joe Mixon, who is on tape getting into an altercation with a woman at a bar and punching her and knocking her to the ground. So that was their second round pick. That, that pick was the only pick that got more booze than Roger Goodell. Yeah. So with the Bengals, it's just clearly based on my reputation as not being a Bengals fan, but it's confirmed by the numbers. It's confirmed by the draft pick. They seem to be unafraid to take players that not only have a history of getting in trouble with the law, actively get in trouble with the law, and the Bengals just seem to, it it just doesn't seem to be a thing for the franchise to care about that. So Tony, what's going on here? It seems like, I mean, we haven't talked about the Patriots yet, but the Patriots have this history of taking troubled players, but, but believing that they can get them to stay out of trouble. It seems like the Bengals have a history of taking troubled players and then not giving a shit if they continue to get in trouble. So Mike Brown... And he, you know, he shows up a lot on, on like Hard Knocks and other shows. The owner, we'll get to the owner uh, later, but he has this belief, I think, that you know people deserve a second chance, or that like, you know, when you meet somebody and you have these personality things uh, or, or criminal activities, that uh, he wants to sort of be the rehabilitator, or also a belief that Marvin Lewis can be a, a, a mentor and a father figure uh, to a lot of these people. Uh, and so there's other additional instances seem like an attempt to rehabilitate or a belief that they can rehabilitate, uh, or in some instances, it may just be cravenly saying, look, if you have enough talent, uh, then you can play on our team, which is not a position that other teams don't have, right? And uh, you talked about Josh Brown during the uh, Giants episodes. And so I think the NFL as a general work environment there's plenty of pieces of shit everywhere. See Aaron Hernandez. And, you know, teams are willing to overlook a lot. And different teams are willing to overlook more. I I think there are certainly some franchises, like we've covered the Texans, who rated very highly on this. The Chargers rated highly on this. There are some franchises that seem to, if a player has some issues, they'll sort of walk away from them. And, they're, and I mean, I think your point is very fair that they will you know, they will take a chance on a guy. And, you know, for example, the guy they drafted, I don't know a lot about him. I just saw the video. Maybe he has a an anger problem or something, and they think that they can manage that or something. And, you know, and they believe that they're, they would be a good spot for him to be rehabilitated. But I'm certainly not going to defend the video. I don't think, I mean, sometimes you see fans do that because, you know, you, you root for the uniform or you root for the colors, not uh, the individual players. Uh, my philosophy on this is that, yes, of course, there are elements of that that make it harder to root for the, the team or the franchise, right? Like Ben Roethlisberger is universally thought to be a piece of shit, and that's your starting quarterback. So the more high profile they are on a team, the more difficult it is to sort of reconcile those two things. And so I, I understand this as a category for rootability, but, you know, there's also just pieces of shit in the NFL where you play an incredibly violent game. But Tony, I also I also think that this this category is even though we talk about past events that have happened, it's an essentially forward looking category. It's trying to get a sense for how things will be dealt with, knowing, as you're saying, there are just pieces of shit all over the NFL. But I mean like if you're at the NFL draft right now debating, like somebody who is anti Bengals could be like, you guys just drafted a guy who like is on tape 
right. you know, punching a woman. And that's as if you were as a Bengals fan, like that's something that your franchise does, which is, I mean, to the point of this category, if you pick the Bengals, like that's going to be something you're going to be doing. You're just going to have to deal with that. And and you're right. You, you deal with that with any team, but there are some teams that if there's a high profile incident, I have better confidence will deal with it appropriately. Uh, and I don't think, I don't think the Bengals have shown any willingness to do that. And I also think that, you know, it's this draft pick is interesting because the Bengals can't be unaware that they have this reputation and yet they make a decision based on, you know, and you know, who knows, maybe in conversations, they feel like this person is, is rehabilitated or, or whatever, but they're making a decision that despite this reputation, they are going to do this thing. Can't be a high score, Dan. I'm going to say one. Tony is sad, but he, he nods and no, I mean, it's, it's fair. I, I, I do have acceptance. And people make the stupid joke that like, you know, they're wearing stripes one way or the other. Or ha ha ha. You know, they, they, they earn that reputation. And I think sometimes they get overcovered uh, for that based on national perception. Uh, but some of that perception is also rooted in reality. All right. Well, let's see if they can have a comeback here. Number five, everybody's favorite category, can't root for a team that Rob roots for. So what does Rob think about the Cincinnati Bengals? So Rob rates the Bengals very middle of the road, his 19th favorite team. So a little bit towards the bottom, but uh, pretty much right in the middle. Uh, But when asked, Rob said, no one wants to like the Bengals. Even people who live in Cincinnati don't want to root for the Bengals. Obviously, that's not true with Tony, but. If you want to root for a team, this is uh, this is to our to our last category. If you want to root for a team that picks up every fuck up in the league and lets them keep fucking up, then good for you. So this is an interesting one where Rob's comments are, you know, he doesn't like the team for the reason that you rated it low, but because he doesn't like them, that means you have to rate it high. <laughs> I don't see any problem with that. So yeah, this is, I mean, towards towards his bottom half, it's not like he hates them, but obviously dislikes them a little bit. So uh, this is just going to be right in the middle, six out of 10. All right, six out of 10. Moving right along here into number six. Uh, this is where, you know, last week we did Seattle. And of course you live in Seattle, Joe. Now we're doing Cincinnati and this is great. We have Tony who lives in Cincinnati. And one thing I would like to, uh, I forgot to do last week, but I think is a good thing to do this week is, you know, we're doing this trip advisor thing for all of the cities. And normally we're doing cities we're not too familiar with. So of course you live in Seattle. So the question is like, how accurate were the trip advisor top things as opposed to like what you think about the city? Well, that's in the past, but now we can do it with Cincinnati. So I'm going to go down the top five spots on TripAdvisor. Tony, you tell me if you've been there. You tell me if it's nice. And then here, let me hear like what you think. Like, it, What are they missing? So number one, Great American Ballpark. Very nice. Very nice ballpark. Which I assume is where the Reds play. That's right. Hosted the All-Star game a couple years ago. Number two, the zoo, of course. Oh, my God. So their zoo and botanical garden is one place. Wow. That must be such a great place, Tony. So I know that... I, I know that you all uh, are making fun of the fact that every city has a zoo and a botanical garden, and so you should just go to the one in your city. Uh, the Cincinnati Zoo has the additional distinction of being the Harambe Zoo, so I don't know if that influences <laughs> oh your decision, Joe, but if you were to come uh, to the zoo, you could you know, decide the loser of the who is your favorite child category and, 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 and leave them at the Cincinnati Zoo. Have they built some kind of memorial or monument there? What's What's the current... Harambe situation at the zoo itself. I honestly, I honestly don't know. I, I moved to since I, I I'm from Centerville originally, which is about an hour away. 
uh, and I moved back to Cincinnati uh, just in August. So I wasn't there during or, or sort of after the Cincinnati Zoo uh, incident. So I had no follow-up except that you know, that is a distinguishing factor perhaps for the Cincinnati Zoo compared to zoos in other cities. That's like the most Cincinnati thing of all time, that that's the, that's the Harambe <laughs> Zoo. <laughs> Though it does, I mean, like at, at our zoo in Seattle, near the gorilla exhibit, they have like a bronze statue of a gorilla that you can take a picture next to. Having your kid take a picture next to like the life-size gorilla has a very different feel at the Cincinnati Zoo, I imagine. Oh, too soon, Joe. You don't, I don't want to mess with the like on, online Harambe people. They might come in <laughs> and sort of like uh, trash our podcast. Hey, you know, at least we'll get a lot of fan feedback. Our, our uh, ratings might go from our current five star to like one star with 100 <laughs> Harambe. Don't forget. Uh, okay, number three. Speaking of positive things, the number three place to visit in Cincinnati is a cemetery. The Spring Grove Cemetery. What? Arboreum? Ar- Arboretum. That's actually and, right by my house. Arboretum. That's actually right by my, my house. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's like a walking path where, like, it's, I think, the second largest uh, cemetery in the United States. Uh, the largest one is in, in New York. Uh, and it's beautiful. It's like a path, and a lot of people walk and, and run. And as long as you can get over the fact that there, it, it is a cemetery, um, it's a very beautiful place. I mean that that's sort of that's sort of a sad state that the third best place to be in Cincinnati is dead. <laughs> well, I think the TripAdvisor reviews normally assume you're alive, so it's, uh, this isn't the cemetery rankings. There is a famous uh, and possibly apocryphal quote attributed to Mark Twain about Cincinnati that uh, when the world ends, he wants to be in Cincinnati because it's always twenty years behind the times. It's <laughs> <laughs> a good line. I wonder if the beautiful Cincinnati Cemetery is mentioned in the Funeral Museum in Houston. Yeah. Well, if they don't have the list of the biggest cemeteries, like they're missing out. I'm going to Houston uh, over the summer, so more reporter on the ground. Yeah. When you go there, see. You need to go to the Funeral Museum. I will report back from the Funeral Museum. Uh, Number four, the Small Riverfront Park. Small A? Snail. Snail? That's right by the the waterfront, so just a a waterfront uh, park. Okay, so your number, the number one is the Great American Ballpark. Yep. Number three is the Cemetery and Arboretum. Number four is the Riverfront Park. Mm-hmm. A lot of a lot of real estate you've got out there for these large parks or other things. Mm-hmm. And number five, and finally, the uh, the Cincinnati Art Museum. Yeah, so Cincinnati has uh, an art museum, but also uh, I think should be on this list is they have the Underground Railroad Museum oh. uh, because Ohio was the uh, state that was the dividing line uh, for coming over and so uh, so Cincinnati would have really been right on that dividing line yeah this would rank high on the how were they in the Civil War category yeah they were the underground which my friend who does the Civil War lectures loves that he he really wants that category added I'm game if he sends in information about each team we will talk about it if Cincinnati really is a big stop on the underground rail that's like that's a huge that's like 10 out of 10 it's the stop it's when you realize you've made it across Kentucky man it's it's really a shame we haven't officially added this category because that could have been 10 free points Tony Um, tell me about the Bengals stadium is it in Cincinnati proper it is in Cincinnati it's right next to the Red Stadium both on the the riverfront and those are the only two professional teams Uh, actually they have a new FC Cincinnati soccer team not an MLS team but uh, so those are the two primary so it's a two sport uh, NFL and, and MLB team I don't know if that uh, matters to you. But yes, the stadium is uh, in Cincinnati, right on the river. 
Well, you know, I, I never really thought of Cincinnati as a place that I would want to visit. It sounds delightful, though. In fact, I'm going to be going out to Cincinnati in like a month for work. Oh, you should stop uh, by. I will. I will. Um, and I'm definitely going to going to check out that uh, cemetery, too. Uh, <sighs> you know, I, I think Cincinnati is probably a place I would rather go than some city. What did Cleveland get here, Dan? Cleveland here got a four out of ten. It's interesting. I... When I looked it up, I'm just surprised at how... I mean, Cincinnati is almost Kentucky. Uh, yeah, it's very close to Kentucky. Uh, yeah. It definitely has some Kentucky flavor to it. Uh, I drink a lot of bourbon now. Well, I mean, so do I. So actually, that's a that's a big selling point. Yeah, it's about, a, it's about an hour, an hour and a half away from Louisville and Lexington, where all the major uh, bourbon distilleries are. Oh, that's a game changer. I think this is the middle of the road. I'm excited to see it for the first time, but probably not a place that um, I would think of as my top destination. But I think six and a half out of 10. Oh, it has a fair score. Number seven, does the team have a player players you could put on your fantasy roster? So I think the storyline this year of the Cincinnati Bengals players would be of sort of uh, disappointment due to injuries, but when they played, they were good. So A.J. Green, in the games he played, was a top 10 wide receiver, but he missed the last six games due to injury, which uh, would be pretty devastating for your fantasy team right as the playoffs were starting. Tyler Eifert. He was great in the games he played, but he missed a bunch at the start of the season and missed some at the end of the season, I believe. Andy Dalton was the 12th best quarterback by points. He didn't miss games, but he was just like, you know, 12th best. So he's a guy that's probably starting for somebody, but he's not not winning you any games on his own. Uh, also, the running backs, uh, Giovanni Bernard and Jeremy Hill, uh, and, you know, recent draft additions. Their first round pick was John Ross, who ran a yeah, 4-2-2 yeah, yeah. uh, at the combine, which is the fastest. This time. is certainly the type of team that I think Looking forward to next year, there's a lot more excitement there was last year. If AJ, I mean, when AJ Green was healthy, he was great. Yeah, I mean, if their two first round picks were offensive players that, you know, when you're looking at those rookies, you know, the ones that don't even have their picture yet on Yahoo, their first round pick, I mean, you took in the top 10, who's this guy who has the fastest 40 time that's ever been recorded at the combine. Crowd was very excited about that pick. And, you know, you put him opposite AJ Green. I mean, that's going to help AJ Green. That's going to help John Ross. And that's going to help Andy Dalton. And it might help the running back too. You know, it's going to open things up. So this could be a really, really good offensive team next year. So Tony, I don't want to put you in a position of giving away any draft strategies since we play in two leagues together. But yes, right. there are definitely some some sleeper picks on this team and also maybe some good long-term keeper players as well it sounds like yeah absolutely uh aj green you know he returns his value like you'll pay for him but he's 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 gonna be week in week out uh with the potential to blow up i mean he's right there with julio jones as far as you know top wide receiver i think in the first 10 weeks if you ranked it he was in the top three by points it's just that i mean he missed the last six games yeah and there's sneaky value there too right eifert uh you know was injured and that sort of discounted him but again when he played he produced uh, and also for all of our talk about Joe Mixon, uh, he, uh, he you know was, was said to be a top fifteen running back in this draft that fell due to character concerns, uh, and so he also will jumpstart. So the round one and round two make significant upgrades and additions to the offense. That is actually an interesting thing about Cincinnati, even going back to the point before where it's like in the draft, especially they sort of have the leeway to take these players of character concerns, and people are like, well. That's just Cincinnati because so many teams just won't won't take him. And they're just like, you sort of have the leeway to take him. Even if people go to you and say, oh, I can't believe you took this guy. Just be like, All right, well, we're the Bengals. They see, they see value there. It's the new money. Obviously, ball. I'm just as concerned about those character issues on my fantasy team because I don't want I don't yeah. want 
locker room uh, Discord. So yeah, you know, um, I think the Bengals are are fine here. I think that they have some solid players, and definitely, if I ended up with Andy Dalton as my quarterback, I would feel like I maybe did something wrong in the draft. But other than that, I think there are some solid players here. So I'm going to say six and a half out of ten. Andy Dalton is your classic like one dollar you know wait on a quarterback strategy guy that you end up with and you're fine. I think where it's the little draft strategy is already coming out. Number eight is the owner a monster? So the owner is Mike Brown, who is the son of Paul Brown, who is the Brown in the Cleveland Browns. Uh, Mike Brown. Uh, became the owner of the team after Paul Brown passed away in 1991 and has remained in that position ever since. I believe he's also the GM of the team. That's correct. Which I guess explains how he has this cohesive opinion about rehabilitation. And he's also the one drafting the players and being the GM and everything. He appears to be somewhat of a big Republican donor. The Republic doesn't donate to a lot of Democrats, so... I mean, I guess you're in a purple state, but he's Republican. His net worth is basically entire, entirely from his ownership of the Bengals, which is now, he's, he's now a billionaire just based on his ownership of the Bengals, but uh, it's entirely from the team. He, as far as I'm aware, doesn't have any sort of major outside uh, money coming from anywhere else. The stadium they are in, Paul Brown Stadium in Cincinnati, has 94% public money. And it's like the stadium cost was $450 million and they put in a token $25 million and the other $425 million was financed for public funding. And instead of being like financed by like the hotel tax or whatever, it's a 0.5 increase in the county sales tax. So like every purchase that's happening in that county is going to fund this giant stadium. It's really easy to hate Mike Brown, and a lot of Bengals hate Mike Brown for, one, not being his dad, who was this legendary coach. Uh, he also oversaw you know, the worst decade of the Bengals and possibly the NFL in the 90s, and so everybody was like, Mike Brown is super cheap, he's not investing to win, and so this aura of general incompetence uh, followed him uh, until you know the hiring of Marvin Lewis. Uh, there's also been, uh, you know, complaints that he's not investing in things like an indoor practice facility for the Bengals that would attract you know, more coaches. He got into a spat with Carson Palmer, where Carson Palmer retired and then, uh, because, because Mike Brown refused to trade him. Uh, but there are also, you know, it's just a family-run team, right? His dad uh, ran a team, and now he owns a team. And his daughter, actually, is uh, 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 the chief negotiator for the Bengals, and she... Uh, is actually one of the most powerful women in the NFL. Hmm. I mean, I, I think these are all, unfortunately, big big knocks against Mike Brown because of how much it reminds me of the Spanos family. So a couple bad things here. One is I think I've come to hate these owners that inherit the team and have no other life experience or any other business or any other experience at all whatsoever other than being part of this football dynasty. And it seems clear that even if Mike Brown went out and obviously like he went to school and probably held various jobs, this was what he was groomed to do. This is what he was going to do with his life. And he didn't really have to work in order to get that. The other problem, and what makes it almost worse than the Spanos, though, I don't think anyone's going to get a, a lower rating than Spanos other than maybe um, Dan's Dan's favorite owner. <laughs> um, 
uh, is the fact that he's the general manager, which could be very frustrating because it's it's the least likely general manager in the NFL to get fired then. Well, actually, Mike Brown as a GM, I mean, for a long time would get a lot of heat for not professionalizing. But in recent years, uh, many people have praised the Bengals' draft strategies and stocking the team with talent. They're consistently referred to as you know, one of the most talented teams in the NFL. So uh, as a GM, he's really turned around his performance. I mean, it is interesting that, you know, in some ways, it's almost like being on the Supreme Court where you want them to have lifetime appointments because it, it helps them make decisions that might be unpopular. Uh, but on the other hand, you also hate that they have lifetime appointments because it gives them so much power that even if they are terrible, you can't do anything about it. That might be why he's more willing to take players or stick with players that have troubled history because it's like, yeah, who cares? What are you gonna do? Fire me? doesn't matter. Uh, he'll stick with Marvin Lewis where maybe another GM would have felt pressure to save his or her own job by firing the head coach. Mike Brown would be like, I don't want to fire Mar- Marvin Lewis. I'm not going to get fired. So what do I care? And being, as you said, in a two sport city gives him the leeway to say, yeah, Bengals fans are still going to show up. They're still going to buy tickets. It doesn't really matter, uh, which maybe is a good thing in some cases, but I think can also be a very dangerous thing. The other thing that, that reminds me of Spanos a little bit is, you know, these owners that own this, this hugely profitable asset in, a, in an NFL team, but sometimes shirk their responsibility to invest in it, invest in players, invest in a new practice field. And that too can be very frustrating. I believe the Spanoses are the poorest NFL owners. Uh, I don't know where Mike Brand is on that I mean, list. His, their net worth is just entirely from the franchise. It's, it's very it's very low. The Bengals are in a small market and uh, tend to be lower on that scale. Anyway, I'm not seeing a lot that I like about Mike Brown. He also doesn't sound like a terrible monster either, but we're going to go three and a half out of 10. Okay. Might be a little low, but you know, it's up to you. Your ranking. So number nine. Rate the uniform and the logo, just for a little history. So when Paul Brown founded the team in Cincinnati, he decided to name them the Bengals because there was another football professional football team that played in the city in the uh, 1930s and 1940s called the Bengals. And Paul Brown said, quote, the nickname would provide a link with past professional football in Cincinnati. So he chose that name because another team had been named that. However... The fans, apparently, when the team was founded, wanted it to be called the Buckeyes. That was their number one suggestion. Mm, but Paul Brown yeah. went with the Bengals. Are there any Bengal Tigers in Cincinnati, like even at the zoo? I, I'm sure at the zoo. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, you know, the, the other thing, I, I mean, I, I, a, lot of, a lot of your ranking here will really depend on how much you like orange. Because, you know, they're, they're, they're super orange and they have the stripes on the helmet. Uh, it makes them super distinctive. Like, you know, you won't mistake any other team for uh, a Bengals player or a helmet. And some of their old, even some of their old school throwback retro jerseys are very, like, I, I think they're awesome. They're, they're, they're orange and they have the black trim and, and, and the white. And that's, 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 their, that's their thing and they're sticking to it. Yeah, I think they do have a very unique jersey. I don't. I think they must be so far away from every other team. Yeah, I mean, as a mascot, it is. It's odd to have a team name that is neither a like animal or thing that has a historic link with the city, or that doesn't have any alliteration. Like, I don't know if there are any jaguars in Jacksonville, but at least there's there's alliteration there, so it makes sense. But. Why Cincinnati would have picked Bengals is sort of odd, though I guess, I mean, there's a reason for it. 
That being said, I do like large cats as a like category. And I think the Bengal tiger is my second favorite of all large cats. Second, second to what? Lions? No, we'll get there. We'll get there. I like the uniforms. I like the color. I like the stripes. I, I do think that the uniforms that as we go through this, that I find that I rank the lowest and I dislike the most are the ones that are just sort of generic and boring. And I don't think anyone would accuse the Bengals jersey of not being distinctive. I think the Bengals have a unique style. I wish that the team name had a had a stronger link with the city. But other than that, I think uh, this is pretty pretty high up on my list. So I'm going to say 7 out of 10. All right. 7 out of 10. It's pretty good. Number 10. Do they play a style of play you would enjoy watching? So, Tony, what's their style of play? Uh, throw it to AJ Green. Okay. Wow. <laughs> I mean, next year it's going to be... Throw it to AJ Green or throw a 60 yard bomb to the like fastest player in NFL history. They, they want to establish the run and that's sort of been their identity. But really, they, everybody knows that their biggest weapon is AJ Green and you have to take that away. Uh, and if you do take that away, then Andy Dalton becomes very human and very Andy Dalton. But so next year, the offense is going to be Andy Dalton, AJ Green, Tyler Eifert at tight end, this new speedster guy, John Ross. You've got Giovanni yeah, that's pretty. Bernard, that's pretty Bernard, Jeremy Hill, Jeremy Hill, this Tyler, new running back. New running back. I mean, this is going to be a Tyler, potent offense. Tyler Boyd. Like if you're if you're buying low on an offense, it's going to have a, a huge year. They like, did lose a little bit on the line, but I think they're trying to you know make up for that by investing in all these weapons on the outside, yeah. skill positions. Could be very very exciting too. And maybe the old traditional truism in the NFL would be that having only one good wide receiver wasn't good enough because that player would just get double teamed every play and and would sort of get taken out of the game. But with um, how handcuffed cornerbacks are now, you see that that even these teams that have one very, very great wide receiver are still able to find ways to get him the ball quite often. And so I think um, even without all those other weapons, I think the Bengals would you know, still be fine. But uh, yeah, it does sound like they're going to have a high-flying offense next year and uh, – it seems like an exciting team. How, on a scale of one to ten, Tony, how inept is their defense? Uh, their defense used to be one of the best, and that was largely due to Mike Zimmer, who is now the coach of the Vikings. Uh, he was a great coach, and uh, you know they had great defensive players like Geno Atkins and uh, Vontez Perfect, and uh, excellent cornerbacks. Uh, and it dipped a little bit last year uh, due to injuries, but still, you know. They, they weren't going to embarrass you, right? You, it, would, it would not be a situation where you have to cover your eyes to watch the defense. Um, but I would say middle of the road right now. One thing I also want to note, I'm shocked by this. I was I was looking up the penalty statistics with the expectations that they're sort of a sloppy team, a lot of penalties. Of course, going back to that Steelers game with the stupid personal fouls. The Cincinnati Bengals last year had the fewest penalty yards in the NFL. What a clean! So you know, getting in trouble off the field, but on the field, they're uh, they're playing with the the legally. They're upstanding citizens on the field, except for probably Vontez Perfect, who gets targeted for for personal foul. But still, they had the fewest yards, and I mean, it's like number one in terms of penalty yards and penalties. It's the Oakland Raiders, which you sort of expected. Like I thought it'd be Oakland Raiders number one, Bengals number two, but in fact, it's Oakland Raiders number one, and then all the way down at number thirty-two, the Bengals. It's pretty impressive. Wow. Wow. Good for them. Okay. Yeah. No, I think um, I'd enjoy watching this style of play. I'd say seven and a half out of 10. Okay. Seven and a half out of 10. 
Number 11. What is interesting about the fan base? So we've got the man on the spot, Tony. What are, what are your, uh, your points here? So the first thing when you think about Cincinnati is their, their who day chant, uh, and they do that a lot. So uh, if you want a fan culture that has an iconic, iconic chant or a, an iconic statement that identifies them as uh, the fans, then they have that. Uh, they also are host to the, I, I think, the best uh, celebration in the NFL, which is, of course, the Icky Shuffle. Uh, and also, you know, they previously had uh, Ocho Cinco, who I thought his celebrations were great, like the Tiger Woods. Oh, that was but, fun. Uh, was, yeah. oh, how did we not talk about Ocho Cinco at all? Yeah, proposing to the cheerleader, trying to bribe the bribe the ref, uh, <laughs> and uh, all the other ones. Uh, yeah, the, screw the, the screw the no fun league for the, the, the river dance, uh, etc. Tony, can you explain the Who Day chant to me? So there are various uh, origins of this, uh, and there's some debate, uh, you know, with uh, New Orleans, whose chant is Who Dat, uh, whether or not you know, who originated it, and uh, you know why they, you know, why they decided to make that the chant. Uh, another theory is that uh, the Who Day chant is related to a brewery in Cincinnati called Hootapole, uh, and they used to sell Hootie beer uh, at the stadium. Uh, and so it was sort of adapted from that. But I, I, I think there's just some who, who that who, who they think going to beat them Bengals. You know, it's just a, it's just a chant that offends. You know, and, and then and then they made the song the who they the who they song, and then it got turned into a who they rap, and that sort of you know, became the mantra. I like it. This category is all about having some distinctive nature to your fandom, and I think that the Bengals certainly have that. Maybe without the same uh, negativity as your uh, neighbors to the north in Cleveland, yeah. But I think I think uh, there's definitely a strong fan culture there, and it, it would be fun to be a part of. So, let's say seven and a half out of ten. All right, seven and a half out of ten. This is uh, I don't want to get ahead of myself here, but this is looking pretty good for the Bengals potentially. But we've got to get through number twelve. What do you think about the drink, Joe? Beer, club soda. How did that work for you? Tony, I don't know what you think. I think this is like the perfect morning drink. I mean, it's essentially homemade light beer. Uh, so it's nothing revolutionary, but uh, it's cool. It's it's now 1040 in the morning here, and I'm feeling good about this drink. What do you think, Tony? I liked it better than I thought I did, and I'm typically not a fan of adding things to beer like shandy or other kinds of things, but club soda isn't sweet. It just adds a little bit more uh, carbonation and uh, dilutes it down. So I was pleasantly surprised by it. Yeah, I'm going to say... Eight out of ten. Eight out of ten. Wow. That puts them at 78, Joe, which is the third highest score thus far, only behind that behind the wow. Falcons at 82 and the Cowboys at 79 and a half. Dan, I'm going to be honest. I had no idea even if the Bengals were going to make it into the next round. And I was a little bit terrified of like, oh, how can I do this to Tony during his bachelor <laughs> yeah. party? I'm going to reject his team. And the whole time I'm just going to be shitting all over them. But there's actually a lot that I found to like about the Bengals. Would, it would have been devastating. It would, would have ruined my weekend. <laughs> <laughs> so we don't need to build up the suspense. I assume they're moving on. Tony, as my gift to you for your wedding, the Bengals are moving on. Wow. wow. All right. Hey, all right. And one final piece of business. We've got to pick the teams for next time. So I'm going to do that right now. And our next podcast, I'll pick two for a doubleheader, are going to be the, oh my goodness, Joe, the New England Patriots wow. and the Washington Football Club. Wow. Wow. Those, wow. That is going to be quite a doubleheader, Joe. Oh my goodness. 
Wow. Uh, folks, if you've got feedback about, we, we've already got the feedback in the hole for the Patriots, but. Well, Dan, I'm worried. Feedback, I mean, shouldn't we, shouldn't we be doing the Washington Football Club either in person or as like its own mini series of, of five episodes? I mean, I feel no, like there's a lot to talk about here. Because I, there's not a lot to like about the Washington Football Club. But anyways, <laughs> Joe, this has been unbelievable. Thank you, Superfan Tony. Hey, I had a great time. This is, thank this you was for awesome. being Tony. Everybody, you. if you like Superfan Tony, if you hated them, Send in your feedback, NFL at JoePixPod.com. We love your feedback. You're yeah, amazing. I have a lot to say about both of these teams, so I'll continue sending in mailbag, if nothing else, uh, and, and trying to travel to these cities. Yeah, and Tony, what I really need is I need some breakdown of who people drafted and how I should change my mind about them. There those. you go. Maybe, maybe, my, maybe my contribution will be analysis of their draft picks. There's a good homework assignment for you. Nice. Okay. Very nice. All right, Joe, and super fan Tony. See ya. I had a great time. Fun golfing. Okay. Thank you. Bengals. Who day? Who day?